Last week we ended with this verse, and it's the one that kind of, and it's not a Bible verse, it's something that Jeremy said. Can we, yeah, let's throw on these lights. I'm super grateful for what Jeremy said at the end. He said this, and I want you to listen to it because it's what stuck to me. It says, how you live says everything about what you believe. A lot of times we're like, no, my beliefs drive how I live, but the truth is how you live shows what you believe, meaning if you give to the church or if you're at church, if you're online, we love you. Hey, cheer for those online today. I love this community outside. Let's cheer for them. And you guys that show up every week, if you live with God as your focus, then there should be some godly activity in your life throughout the week, right? And that's what we're talking about. How you live shows what you believe, not what you believe. We all believe a lot of stuff. That doesn't mean that you live that way. And so how you live shows exactly what you do. Most of us worship this little green lady. She's a Starbucks representative on the cup. And we'll wait in line for hours for it to pay seven bucks now because of the economy changes, right? But man, it flocks. It's one of the most popular places in the world. How you live shows what you believe and who you believe in. And that's what we're doing. We're doing this thing called the good fight. We are learning to fight. And we have been fighting through as pastors some really tough scriptures. If you have missed any of them, uh, chapter two a couple of weeks ago talked about women. Women, where are you at? We believe in women at this church. We believe God rising up women leaders. And you've got to listen to the message Jeremy did a couple weeks ago. I promise you if you've missed it, it's something that's setting the stage because God is doing a movement that we haven't seen in 500 years. And we are going to be on the front edge of this because that's what we believe because we are fighting the good fight. And trust me, these scriptures that we're reading through Timothy aren't easy scriptures. Somebody asked me this week, I'm completely off note, so we might go anywhere today. I have no idea where we're going. But someone asked me the other day, my, I, I think my wife maybe was, she's like, how often have you preached the same message in 12 years? It's been three times. Three times I've hit the same scripture. And that goes to Jeremy Case because he's got us all over the Bible. Opening up stuff and digging into stuff. Three times in 12 years? That's unbelievable. When I was taught, I had this guy named Steve Ogney. He said, every three years you got to go through the same messages. And I'm like, not here. We're on 12 and I've done it three times. Once was last Christmas because Christmas you almost got to go through the same stuff all the time. But here's what we're going to talk about today. Here's the good fight. And I want you to really listen to me. Those that are online, pay attention. Those in here, those outside, pay attention. We're going to talk about community today and how critical it is to your life. Who do you celebrate with when good things happen? I mean, literally, who do you celebrate with? It's good to have family, but sometimes you want to shout out, I love Jesus and good things are happening in my life. Or... Man, I'm really struggling, Lord. Is there anybody out there that cares for me at all? You know, our church has had a lot of death. And I've seen some people, amazing people, have the community wrap around them. Them show up the following day in this place because the community was what was going to draw strength for them and get them through the day. That's the fight. I don't know if you guys know how valuable community is, and today we're going to talk about it. If you're in a time of, of loneliness, if you're in a time of, of need, or if you just want to celebrate, the church community is driven 
for people like you and I that need community. And it teaches us something. My sister Kim was on the mission field for about 15 years, 14 years in Mexico. And in this little Mormon community, there was 70 Christians in this little area called Zarambla. And it ebbed and flowed between like 40 and 70 for those 14 years. And that community taught her and it taught me a lot of stuff. You know what? A lot of ugly stuff. But also some amazing stuff. A lot of struggles in watching other people come together and rally and bring money together to help someone who's hurt or in, that needs, uh, needs something. And that's what community does. I was looking up community in the secular world. What does the secular world say about our community and what it means? And not Christian community, about us living in community. It says this, living in a strong community is critical because it's a, a central source of social connection. And we all yearn for this belonging. I don't know if you guys know this, but we have this big chasm in our heart that's looking for all kinds of things to fix this chasm. It's this emptiness. And we fill it with all kinds of themes. Starbucks, drugs, sex, you know, uh, hiking, golf, whatever we do to do, you know, crafts. How many people like crafts? They fill this void with things. And what happens is it's really God saying, no, I want it to be filled with me. And then you can do all those things. And that's how critical community is. Participating in a community like church, really with like-minded like values, attitudes, and goals is essential to have that abundant life. I don't know if you're sitting here today or if you're online, especially if you're online, if you're sitting here and saying, I don't have the life that I want, the first thing that you need to check is what community are you really connected in and what does that look like? At our church, we believe uh, fully in community groups. We have 51% in the last sense, I don't know, like Easter, 51% new people have joined community groups because they're yearning for this. And in those community groups, they're seeing God move and you're just being able to share what's happening in your life. And so that's why we put a ton of energy into this community group. Because I don't know about you, I want to live an abundant life. And that doesn't mean with lots of money in my bank account. That means that I've got 20 bucks in my bank account, but I still feel like I've got more than enough because the community around me is there. That's important, so critical, and I hope you guys hear this. There's a guy named Dietrich Bonhoeffer, uh, an amazing theologian around the World War II era, and listen to this quote. And I, and I want you to think about yourself and your community and listen to what it says. It says this, the church is not a religious group of community, a religious community of worshipers of Christ. And we're like, really? I thought that's what it was. But is Christ himself who has taken form among the people? Is the cross and is, empty, is the empty grave your focus? And is that what you form around? This is the thing about church is really weird. You got all kinds of different people, different races, different statuses, some living in their car, some living in mansions, some liking bunnies and some liking rabbits. Some people are vegan. Some people love steak. And we all come together and put all that aside because we're rallying around Jesus and the cross and his resurrection. And it's a place that we can celebrate even when we have differences of opinion. It's okay. It's okay to have different political opinions. Everybody say it's okay. It's okay. It's, okay. it's not necessarily bad if people have different opinions. There's opportunity to grow. It's okay. And I'm saying that because we're coming up to another election. 
And we're going to decide if we're going to have a divisive church and a divisive country and state or, or we're going to be the love element that brings everybody together and celebrates even when there's differences of opinions. And trust me, I have all kinds of opinions. But I have to bite my tongue because I'm worried about God and what God is talking to us. You know how we got to this place? Little acts of love done by many people transforms the world. Little acts of love. Since Christ came into the world, rose uh, three days later, and then ascended into heaven 40 days after that, there's been all kinds of little acts of love and kindness and grace and mercy. And now 2,022 years later, we're still on a mission from God to love the world, giving little acts of love so that the world can be a better place. I'm raising girls. I got three girls and I got my first grandkid coming. What do you think I want with my grandkid? I don't want what we have now. I'm so afraid for that little girl. So all I can do is do my part. Which is love the world right where they're at. Because you were different before you knew Christ. Just like I was. Most of you would run from me if you saw me before because I was not the person that you would want to hang out with. I would steal from you and look for it while I knew it was in my pocket. That's who I was. So when we learn to love, and I remember sitting, this church lives in community. We just came back from a a conference this week. I, I hope I get back to the text. It'll be good if we get there. We, we, we went to a conference, and here's the thing. All of us got an Airbnb. It looked like a castle. It was really beautiful, but a group of us, seven of us went. My wife got to go, and we all lived in community for a few days. And everybody else at the conference are like staying at the Sheridan, and they're like, you guys are all together in an Airbnb? That's weird. What kind of church are you? And we're like, we love each other. Right, And so we're living in community because we know how critical it is because that community holds us accountable. We have never been one solid opinion. This church is not about me and my opinion. I remember when we were sitting in the upper office in my old house where the church started and there was a verse that kept coming to us, Acts 2.42. And the verse says this, that we were devoted to the teaching of God's word, that the apostles' word would be a devotion. And there would be this thing called fellowship, that thing called fellowship is friendship and community and it would be through uh, through food we we throw some pretty bomb taco parties here we do good with our food and then it says through prayer and we do all four of those things every time we possibly can because it said after you do that the church grew immensely 3,000 people in one day by devoting And that's what we're trying to do is not trying to grow to 3,000 people. We can barely handle what we got now. We're just trying to grow the way God wants us to grow. Today we're going to go to Timothy chapter 5 and we're going to talk about how a community reacts to a a couple of different types of people uh, that we'll see. But it really has to do with community. So I want you to open up your heart and mind and think about the community. And we do this thing called outcome where we all get together. And one of these verses my sister talked about what said this. And it says this, James chapter 1. James actually was Jesus' brother who didn't believe until after the resurrection. He actually didn't believe until he saw Jesus and then he believed and then he became the teaching pastor of one of the largest churches in Jerusalem. Here's what he says. 
pure and genuine religion, maybe yours says true religion, in the sight of God the Father means caring for orphans and widows in their distress and refusing to let the world corrupt you. You know what we would add here today? Homeless and mentally ill. That's, that's what we're talking about here. Homeless and mentally ill, widows and orphans. And listen, that's not the easiest population to love. That's why God challenges us so that we can live in community and help them one person at a time, bring them out of the freezing Titanic type water into the glory and warmth of Jesus Christ and point them to the cross. And you don't have to do anything else but do that and watch how their life transforms and changes. So today, we're going to go to Timothy chapter 5. The text is going to be about elders and widows, but it's really ultimately about community. Here's what it says. Never speak harshly to an older man, but appeal to him respectfully as you would to your own father. Talk to the younger men as you would to your own brother. Treat an older woman as you would to your mother and treat the younger woman with all purity as you would your own sister. Father in heaven, we stand on your word. You know what the church needs and you know what we are trying to do and I pray that these words and these notes will be radically changed so that you speak to us all. Speak to me, Lord, so that I can be a vessel for your kingdom. I pray right now, those that are online, they're starting to feel the power of God. And I pray that they don't click and swipe and move to another place, but I pray right now that those online will stick around and hear how community is critical. I pray for our outside community. I pray, God, that you move and heal the brokenhearted those that are struggling. And I pray today that the Spirit of God will move within here so that we can see you work. In Jesus' name and all God's people said, Amen. Amen. Never speak harshly. The actual Greek word, or some of your text says rebuke, the Greek word means to strike at. Do you know how critical words are? When I speak evil or ill, it's a strike to, to someone's core. I don't know if you've ever had bad words about you. Man, they stick with you. I don't know about you. Maybe I'm just super sensitive. My wife says I am. But these words hurt. And then I, I let them ping pong in there and just rattle me around, right? And it says don't strike at those that are older in faith. But in a community, we need respect and honor. This is how you build community. When there's respect and honor for young and old, there's an opportunity for the community to really rally around and experience the glory that God wants. There's this level of respect and honor that we need, and that's what it talks about here. It talks about treating. So this isn't a dating hall. I don't know if you guys know this. This is not a Christian mingle or anything. So church isn't to come, and I had to learn this early on in my faith. I was single when I first remember hearing this type of verse, and I'm like, I've got to treat women as they're my sisters and not worry about, you know, any of that other stuff. And that's not easy because the world has got all these visions and ideas, and they're like, well, I, I'm lonely, and I'm single, and I need someone. Well, here's what you need to know. If you chase God with all your heart, mind, and soul, God will put an amazing person in your life. I guarantee you. You know how I know that? For three years, I cried every Sunday. I got on my knees. I worshiped God. I sing horrible. Sorry, James, for listening over here today. I, I, I serenaded James today. And uh, 
He was crying out to God, please have this guy stop. But that's what I did, and you know what? God brought me the most amazing woman. Yeah, you guys need to cheer because rarely I say good things about her and I have to deal with all the wreckage of my past that I said. So, but here's the thing. We need to treat our elders and we need to treat men and women with great respect. I promise you that will change the community. Community is about teaching. Jeremy taught uh, in, in, in Timothy 2. It's like the, young, the older in faith, not older in years, but the older in faith are to give away to the younger in faith so that there can be this symbiotic, beautiful relationship of information going and growing and changing. And that's what we believe in this church. I don't know how much you guys know about this, but we believe in your kids too. We have these baby rockers and little rockers and, 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 and uh, kids rockers. They're over there rocking out for Jesus Christ, and we believe in it. Amen. We believe in it. Next week, I'm going to be teaching, and they think they're going to throw pies in my face, but watch. Some of your kids are going to be wrecked with pie next week because they think they're going to do it to me. <laughs> Just warning you, we'll have some wipes available. But we also have, you know, uh, a great junior high department and we're doing high school as well super important super critical so now it starts this conversation about widows and it's really starting a community conversation here's what it says take care of any widow that has no one else to care for her but if she has children or grandchildren their first responsibility is to show godliness at home and repay their parents by taking care of them this is something that pleases God. The word here in Greek is uh, uh, take care of means to honor. And this word here means to sustain or to support, to give them sustenance or support so that they can make it. So the community's responsibility is after the family responsibility. Now, I don't know if you guys know this, but in 1932, the government started to add their responsibility. And I don't know if you guys know this because we don't really know our politics here. A lot of us are like, no, I've been voting in first since 2015. Really? That's not that long. 1932, they came up with a small program that was only supposed to last like eight to 10 years and it's still going on today. And the government has now taken a role and the church used to do that. All the orphanages, all the widows were given in these corporations like Coca-Cola and GM and all these big companies back then would support the church and the church would have all these things going on because people would give money to the church to help support that. And so I'm not saying the government's done wrong, but it can't be the only support and we need to do that with the, with the church. It's first with family, then with community and we have the government and we just kind of partner along with them. So what does that look like? Here's what verse says. Now a true widow, a woman who is truly alone in this world, has placed her hope in God. She prays night and day, asking God for help. But the widow who lives for only, uh, lives only for pleasure is spiritually dead, even while she lives. So an honorable woman, a widow, sorry, she prays constantly. She seeks God constantly. She's in that Thessalonians, pray continuously, and she's living a life for the kingdom of God versus the self-seeking one. And we're going to get into that in a little bit, but when you're thinking only about you and not about others, that's where community kind of gets lost in our own head. 
And then Paul says in verse 7, give these instructions to the church so that no one will be open to criticism. So as we're dealing and digging into this text, this is a church leadership seminar helping us to gather around and make sure that our community is, is, is well and healthy and important. And that's what we see here. Verse 8 says, but those who won't care for their relatives, especially in their own household, have denied true faith. Wow. Such people are worse than unbelievers. So it's like, if you can't take care of your own home, how can you really be a believer in God? That's what he's saying. These are strong fighting words, and it's, it, it's meant to shake the foundation of a believer. Are you willing to sacrifice all that time and energy and effort to uh, help a family? These are very strong words. And, and, and I was talking to Jeremy and Kim about this, and the, the question came is like, how are you respecting your elders? And if you're an older, wise person with a lot of seasoned years, I don't know if that came out good or not. Do you remember when you were 15 to 20 and how the people that were 60 thought you were? They thought you guys were hellions. But you forget, right? We forget. As we get older, we forget and go, man, when I was 15 or 16, this generation, they're lost. They have no idea. And today they're like, no, Jeff, they got iPhones and, you know, the sexual stuff. And I'm like, sexuality's been going on for years. There's, there's nothing new under the sun, the Bible says. We're just blinded to that like this is the worst time in history. But the truth is, it says, Jesus isn't coming back until the days of Noah transpire. And I don't know if you guys remember the rainbow, but the days of Noah was a, sex, a, a sexual craziness before the flood came. And so the days of Noah, they come back. That's when Jesus comes back. So these are just harbingers of what's to come. Here's what verse 9 says. A widow is put on this list for support must be a woman who is at least 60 years old and was faithful to her husband. She must be well respected by everyone because of the good that she has done. Has brought up her children well, has been kind to strangers and served others, other believers humbly. She, was, she has helped those that are in trouble and has always been ready to do good. So here's the list. A couple times in this sermon series, we have a list. And here's what needs. Here's the requirements. First of all, 60. Today, 60 doesn't seem that old. I don't know about you, but it seems young to me. It's the new 40. So <laughs> as I get closer to that age, I'm like, man, that's pretty young. <laughs> but here's the requirements here you see the list first of all faithful not just faithful to God but faithful to their, their spouse respected well respected these are the people a good parent good to children kind humble helpful ready to do good there's all kinds of lists because this is a leadership book. If you're listening and reading this text along with us in your community group, like my community group is, you're looking at these lists and say, what kind of leader are you in your own life? And a leader just needs one or two followers to truly be leading. And that's what we're talking about here. So here's the list. And it reminds me of this verse in Galatians. Galatians chapter 6, 9, I love this verse. It says this. Let's not get tired of doing what is good. And just at just the right time, we will reap a harvest of blessing if we don't give up. The way that I see this verse is, if, if, I'm, if I just try and do good my whole life, when I need God to move, 
or people to help me, it's because they're like, man, that Jeff guy, he's done a lot for the community and he's in need. Maybe I should surround him and help him in his time of need, right? At just the right time, you will reap a harvest when you never get tired of doing good. Verse 11, the younger widows should not be on the list because of their physical desires will overpower their devotion to Christ and they will want to remarry. Then they will be guilty of breaking their previous pledge. And if they are on this list, they will learn to be lazy and will spend their time gossiping from house to house. Okay, just erase the picture of that woman you have. Meddling in other people's business and taking and talking about things they shouldn't. So I advise this. Here's Paul's advice. I advise these women, uh, widows to marry again, have children, and take care of their homes. Get back into the game is what he's saying. Then the enemy will not be able to say anything against them, for I'm afraid some of them have already gone astray towards Satan, right? Some of them have already walked into this lifestyle. So what is Paul trying to say here? Uh, the Greek word here on the, to remove from the list, it, it actually really means, to, uh, oh, not, should not be on the list, means to remove. And there's a metaphor that sticks to this word in the Greek. And the metaphor is this. A pampered horse that means just, you know, one of these million dollar stallions or, you know, horses that people have. They take the, the rein out of that pampered horse and they put them in like that 10 acre, you know, billion dollar house and they run with no reins and they're kind of free com from constraint. That's the metaphor that comes with this verse to remove. You're taking this, this bit out so that they can be unleashed. And that's what Paul is talking to these young widows. The young widows... Listen, lust and, and, and sexual implications always come into people's lives. And Paul is trying to say, listen, there's just better off to get married and not fall victim to lust because that starts to creep into your relationship with God. Here's the thing about sex. When it becomes your God or it becomes your focal point in your life, what happens is it starts to get in the way of your relationship with God. Even in a marriage sometimes it can get in the way if it's not healthily talked about and dealt with. And that's what we see here. Paul is like, man, we've got to get these younger women back into life and, 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 and release them into it. And then he talks about how they're supposed to live. If you, guys want, uh, if you guys want to write something down, I don't have it in the notes, but there's a verse in the Bible. It's 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verse 11 and 12. And this is the Christian lifestyle. In those two verses, it tells us what a Christian lifestyle is supposed to be. And I'm just going to give you a portion of the verse. I just added this recently. Here's what it says. Make it your goal in life to, to, to live a quiet life, minding your own business. And then it says, working with your hands and, and doing what's good. And then everybody around you will go, man, that person works hard. They're quiet. They're, they're humble and they're living and they will be well-respected. And people that are non-believers will see them and go, man, I want to live like they do. 1 Thessalonians 4, 11 and 12, that's the lifestyle. Quiet, humble, not meddling. Listen, I got a solution for all of you. But I'm just meddling. It doesn't, know, it doesn't mean it's going to work. I've just got a solution, right? And we've got to get out of the meddling and trust that God has a plan. And that's what, he, that's what Paul's trying to reiterate to these women here. Let's talk about the killer of communities, gossip. Gossip is a killer. I know two churches, one that got split because of gossip, small church, 
got split because of gossip. I know another church that basically ultimately destroyed and is down to 20 people because of gossip. And so gossip is a killer and it has impacts on the people. If you're gossiping about someone, they're having depression, suicidal thoughts, eating disorder, anxiety, and a host of other issues in a world that already has anxiety, eating disorders, addictions, and all kinds of other issues, then you start gossiping and you just are throwing more upon someone that can't take it anyways. Gossip and rumors alienate friends. Some of the best people that are best friends end up separating because of gossip. And that's what splits a church and you gotta choose one side or the other. It ruins reputations, it shuns people's behaviors, and it, it creates these form of relational aggressions. You know what, it is, what, you know what we would call it today? It's bullying. It's bullying. And we've gotta work in a place that we are, you know, our church doesn't have a lot of rumors and gossip because, you know, God is shining upon us. I don't know, <laughs> I'm just kidding. Maybe we do, but I don't hear much of it, but I've been in churches where there's a lot of rumors, and we just are very transparent. You can't really make a rumor when I tell you from stage all my faults anyways, because it's all true, right? Because I'm not afraid to say that. So rumors and gossip are critical, and Paul is trying to command this to help the community and help the widows to not lead astray. Ultimately, it's pointing them to the cross and pointing them to the empty tomb and the resurrection of Jesus Christ, saying all of it will be washed in the glory of God, and we can be transformed for this, and this is how a community Uh, should be. Here's the last verse about widows. It says, if a woman who is a believer has relatives who are widows, she must be taken care of. She must take care of them and not put the responsibility on the church. Then the church can care for the widows who are truly alone. How many times was that said in this small verse? That was the fourth time in one verse and in one section from 3 to 16. When it's said twice, it's really important when it says three times, man, I've got to pay attention. The fourth time said it's just absolutely a command. You've got to be responsible for your family. Think about what you did and how you were raised and how you need to treat those people. It's talking about this because the responsibility comes from the home first and then the local church should support those that needs that support. And that's what Timothy's talking about here. Now we're talking about this word. Verse 17 starts with this word elders. It's presterios, presbyterios, sorry. And this is the word where we get Presbyterian church, but it's talking about elders. That's what the word says, but it's actually talking about a teaching pastor or someone that's in charge of the church, like me. And here's what it says. Elders who do their work, uh, who do their work well. Well, that's, I don't remember ever reading that. I got to do it Well. Elders who do their work well should be respected and paid well, especially those who work hard at both preaching and teaching. For the scripture says you must not muzzle an ox to keep it from eating as as it treads out again. In another place it says those who work deserve pay. The word here, elder, is talking about the pastors of the church, the teaching pastors. And in essence, here's what it says. A pastor deserves a wis- uh, livable wage. And in some of your translations, actually most of your translations, it says a double honor. So uh, uh, can I get the ushers up? We're going to take another offering for a double honor. No, seriously. 
No, seriously. Everybody laughs. They're like, no, he's not going to ask for money. I just did three times. It must be important. <laughs> yeah, you are. So here's what it says. In my own family, I have some people that believe this. In my own family, they say, this is not my immediate family, but, you know, we all got those crazy relatives. Anybody got a crazy relative or six or 20? Yeah. I've actually met some of yours. Raise your hand. Um, in your own family, there, I have in my own family, my outer family, there's some people that think, why do you get paid? Why not just work? You know, you know what people say to me all the time? What do you do during the week? You sh- it's only up there an hour. You should be able to handle that pretty well. Put it together at 8 o'clock on Sunday morning, right? Just open up the Bible. But there's a lot more to it. But some believe that I should not be paid and that I should give the money to the poor, to the widows. That's what the Bible says. And that is really, honestly, that is super cool and honorable. It's just not biblical. Right? Here's what people think. We don't know the Bible or we don't read the Bible. And so we're like, man, you should just give it away. You know, so I should have to go and do other things. But here's the thing. If a pastor doesn't put full-time energy, he's not going to be able to minister to a a congregation full-time because he's going to be at work doing other things. And he's like, I can't talk right now because I have to work. And not only that is the idea here is that I should be able to live just like you guys do in the same type of, of, of county that you live. I shouldn't have to come in from Bakersfield every day. <laughs> Nothing wrong with Bakersfield. Welcome if you're online. <laughs> well, I better move on. Hey, so God did that with the Levites, and he also is doing it with today's church. The Levites were provided for. And at some point, the Levites had plenty and there were a lot of seasons where everybody kind of walked away from God and they were starving, literally starving because people weren't bringing offerings. It's the same with the church. God wants his church to be taken care of. Uh, let's, walk, uh, let's look at this next part. Do not listen to accusations against elders unless it's confirmed by two or three witnesses. It's actually a legal law, right? You have to have a couple witnesses to be convicted. Those who sin will be reprimanded in front of the whole church. So I got a couple sinners today that are going to come up. <laughs> yeah. We'll start with this section. Do you guys want to come up? Um, I solemnly command you in the presence of God and Jesus Christ and the angels to obey these instructions without taking sides or sowing favoritism. The church loves to favor other people, right? Listen. I stand up here, and I'm pretty transparent, but I'm just an average sinner like you. I'm nothing special. I just love Jesus Christ. That's it. That's all I am. And I read the Bible every day. And because of that, I see God working, and I'm not the same wreck that I was 20 years ago because God has worked in my life. That's the only difference. And so we sometimes put pastors on a pedestal. Don't do that. You can honor them, but also hold them accountable. And that's what Paul's saying here. In the middle-aged church, I was looking this up. In the middle-aged church, so about a thousand years ago, that's the middle age. If there was a problem with the pastor, if I was sinning and doing something, there had to be 72 witnesses to take me off the pulpit. That was impossible. For, have you ever tried to get four people to agree on something? 
Have you ever been on a board? They don't agree on anything. No, we need to serve decaf. We don't serve coffee. And I'm like, oh my gosh, who cares? Put them both out there. What a revelation. The middle-aged church, 72 people. That would basically, the whole church has to say he's a sinner. And I've seen it. It's impossible. That's favoritism because they're trying not to uh, affect the pastor. William Barclay, an old theologian, says this, old meaning hundreds of years ago, says, nothing does more harm to a community when some people are treated as if they can do no wrong and others are as they can do no right. That's a community killer. That's a community killer. There's two things Paul wants us to take away from this section. Number one, don't fall victim to gossip. If someone's creating rumors about me or my wife or someone on the, on the pulpit or someone out here that's leading a ministry, make sure there's some actual real witnesses. Not I heard from someone else that's got a cousin that's in Pasadena that saw something. Right? That's, that's, not, that's gossip. But it also says don't let sin be overlooked or ignored by anyone. If I'm sinning, I need to get off the stage. And I need to repent. And hopefully you guys would love me into a place that I can do that, right? But we need to kind of not let my sin be overlooked because I'm Pastor Jeff. It's important. A pastor had an allegation against them. And he says, can I defend myself? Some have said that I told, that I told my wife, you can't go to that crazy church meeting over there. And what was said was he pulled her out of that crazy meeting. He hurt her so bad that she had to go to the hospital. And he says, can I respond to the allegations? He said, I never told her she couldn't go. I never hurt her. She never went to the hospital. You guys know I'm not even married. That's how rumor mills happen. There's allegations, but they don't know facts. We don't live in a society that believes in facts. Some website puts something up and all of a sudden everybody believes it. That's not true. The United States is innocent until proven guilty but that doesn't happen anymore the last 20 years we're guilty because someone said it and then that person's got to dig the facts out and even after their uh, release like didn't happen we still go nah they're dirty that doesn't build the community verse 22 great principles never be hurried to appoint leaders in the church this is something we believe in. We try and not put people in leadership roles for a year after being here. We try and get people that are serving. We don't want to get people serving too quickly because it's not healthy for them. They need to sit and say, am I going to stay here? Am I going to be a part of this? This is something different because we want people to serve, but really we want people to be ministered and serve because they love Jesus. The second one, don't share in sin of others. Don't share in sin. Because it's going to affect your purity and it's going to affect your relationship. This is a principle. This next one is advice. Don't only drink, don't drink water only. We pay th billions of dollars a year to drink water in this country. So don't drink water only. You ought to drink a little wine for the sake of your stomach because you are so sick. Paul's not telling everybody, hey, you're free to drink. Just go out. And, you know, the way I drink, I drink a couple boxes a day when I drink wine. So, you know, the big ones. So Paul's not saying to drink wine. What he's doing is giving advice because anybody into gut health nowadays? Everybody's into gut health. And what it says is wine gives good gut health. Listen, there's other probiotics and pre-probiotics and all this stuff that's on my Facebook feed they want me to take for $9,000. Just take that. You don't have to drink. It's just advice to a friend. It's a personal letter. And in the personal letter, there's some principles and this is, and this is just advice. He's not telling us to drink because we can drink. 
Verse 24, remember the sins of some people that are obvious, leading them to certain judgment. But there are others whose sin will be revealed until later. In the same way the good deeds of some people are obvious, the good deeds are done in secret will someday come to life. We love to judge the obvious sin. It's easy. But there's other sin that people have done in this church over the last couple of days or nights that we don't know, but it's sin, and it still needs to be judged. And you know, my wife, I can just see my wife with my little girls, uh, five-year-old and two eight-year-olds, whatever you did is going to come out. It doesn't come out in an hour. It's going to come out in six days or six months or six years. You're still going to get in trouble. And then my kids are like, all right, I broke it. And what else? And then they would tell the truth and they would get in less trouble because of the truth. I could see Liz doing that. We need to realize it's all going to come out one day. So just the obvious sin, yeah, we can see that. But we also know that there's other sin that's not being dealt with because we're hiding it. Because we're great manipulative people that love the sin and so we hide that sin, right? Don't let that take over your life. And then there's also this good deeds principle. Jesus says the same thing about good deeds. When you give to someone, Matthew 6, 3, in need, don't let your left hand know what the right hand is doing. Don't get in the way of yourself thinking that this is important. Don't let the left hand know what the right hand is doing. It's going to come out. God sees this. I was talking to someone the other day, and I was showing them how God sees what they're doing, and they just started to bawl because God sees. And all you need to know right now God sees. If you're online and you're doing good and nobody sees it, trust me, God sees. If you're outside right now, God sees everything that you have done and he's telling you right now, well done, good and faithful servant. Community is so critical. If you walk out of here, I want you to know Paul's writing to a young man and young, we're talking 30, so it's not that young. He's saying, you got to be in community, brother, and you got to formulate the community. It's not just about one person preaching from stage. It's to activate all of us as a community to learn and live so that we have people to celebrate with. Community teaches us so many things, and God is trying to teach us in community. James writes this. It's the same verse I did at the beginning. I want you to reread. True religion or pure and genuine religion in the sight of God the Father means caring for orphans and widows in their distress, refusing to let the world corrupt you. We got to be a community that loves and cares. And all that means is when we live in community, it helps my faith live in action. That's the whole message here today. Live in active faith and watch how the community responds by the way that you live. We have amazing communities at this church. We got a worship team that's here early every Sunday and they're their own community praying and, and we're so grateful for that. We got a setup team that's here early and we're grateful for that. We got a kids rock team and we've got a safety team and we've got a hospitality team and they're here early. We've got people coming and praying for the service. They're all communities that are living and celebra uh, celebrating Christ and that's how we live out our faith in community Bonhoeffer says this church is not a religious community of worshipers of Christ that's what we think it is but he says it's really Christ himself who has taken form in me and he's taken form in you and you and you 
and you online he has taken form in you outside so that we can come together and put aside all of our beliefs and celebrate Jesus Christ little acts of love still can be done to transform this world and make passionate world changers for Jesus Christ that's our vision let's pray Father we love you Father we love you And to that person online right now that doesn't feel loved and lonely, I pray right now that you see the Spirit of God move and bring you into that place. And Father, I just ask in the name of Jesus Christ through your Holy Spirit, will you move right now? It's the most important part of the message. That that Spirit that we sang to come will come right now and gather us. And if there's someone lost, that needs to be reconnected or for the first time experience Jesus Christ. All they got to do is say a simple prayer. And it goes like this. If that's you online or outside or inside, just say it with me. Father, forgive me. Come into my heart. Come into my soul and be my Lord and Savior. Thank you for dying on the cross. And thank you for rising again for my faith and for my walk and for my life. Holy Spirit, take over my mind, body, and soul and teach me how to live with you and in community forever. And all God's people said, amen. Hey, let's worship Jesus Christ today.